If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere around you. Uh, it says a story on top of it. We have that out there for you. Uh, the first about 10 pages are printed in glossy print color and kind of give you the whole story of the Bible. Today, we get to finish the book of Ephesians. And our theme for this has been better together. Everybody say better together. Now, if I can get you not just to say it, but we got to live it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we look in the book of Ephesians, uh, this has been a challenging book. Uh, and honestly, uh, even though we spent, I think, 14 weeks in this short little book, uh, it really is just an overview, a flyover. Uh, if we were to really dive deep, I think it would probably take me about two years to, to really walk you through everything in it. Uh, but I wanted to summarize some of it this morning before we get to the conclusion. Uh, so I was, I was looking through and rereading the, the book of Ephesians this week, and uh, so I jotted down some things that just stood out to me. Uh, in chapter 1, how many times it says, in him. In verse 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In verse 11, it says, In Him, everybody say Him. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In verse 13, in Him, everybody say, in Him. You got weaker on that one. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So in the first chapter, man, Paul comes out of the gate deep in rich theology, deep in this richness of God's grace and that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we've been predestined, that we, we are, live according to his will, that we, uh, that we are adopted into his family, that we, when we hear the word of truth and the gospel of our salvation and believe in him, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then he got into chapter 2, which was probably my favorite chapter to preach through in here. It's, it's, it's the easiest one to preach. Uh, if you ever meet a pastor that can't preach Ephesians 2, just go ahead and revoke his license. He's done. Ephesians 2 is the easiest chapter to preach. Uh, it just very clearly had this theme that we talked about the, and you were, but God, so that. We talked about the beauty of the gospel is that all of us have an and you were story. All of us have an and you were story. And, and we look at this idea and it says, and you were, in chapter 2, verse 1, dead. In chapter 2, verse 13, once you were far off. Dead, far off, aliens, strangers, hostile enemies against God, dead in our trespasses, sons of disobedience, children of wrath, and you were talked about that was the sentence that followed your name but god being rich in mercy with great love chapter 2 verse 4 has brought us near by the blood of christ chapter 2 verse 13 so that and i really love this idea because we love to uh, applaud and, and, and talk about the gospel in the and you were but god parts and who were you before God? But don't forget, part of your story includes a so that. There's a reason that God redeemed you by his blood. There's a reason that he adopted you into his family. There's a reason that you 
once we're dead, once we're far off, once we're an alien, once we're a stranger, once we're a son of disobedience, once we're a child of wrath, but God has redeemed you through his blood so that, so that God could show his immeasurable grace. Chapter 2, verse 7, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens, part of the building blocks of the body of Christ at the end of chapter 2 there in 2.19 through 22. We have to understand that as part of the building blocks of the body of Christ and his story, we get into chapter 3 and we go deeper into theology and God's plans are bigger than our plans. Amen? I love at the end of chapter 3 it says in, in verse 20 and verse 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Your translation may even say, Imagine according to the power at work within us to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When I moved here five and a half years ago, we, me and my wife knew for, for a year prior to moving here, uh, we felt like God had given us specifically uh, a calling on our lives to go to a dying, struggling church in a changing neighborhood that was a campus of another church. Uh, you have to understand all of that was on our heart and in our prayers before we ever heard about Hibernia or Hyde Park or even knew that Jacksonville existed as a city. I didn't know about it. But specifically, God had put on our heart that he was going to send us to a dying, struggling church in a changing neighborhood that was a campus of another church. And I want to tell you, he's done far more abundantly than I ever thought. I mean, we're, we're not busting at the seams. We've got plenty of room. I'm telling you to scoot up. But man, I could sit here. I could, I honestly, this is not an exaggeration, could take the rest of the day and tell you unbelievable, amazing stories of what God has been doing in this church. I, I really could. I, I thought about even listing them, and maybe one day we'll do that. Maybe we hit a t if I get to hit a 10-year anniversary here, I'll just take a whole day, and I'll just tell you story after story. I'm just, I'm just telling you, I, I, I've been blown away. I, think, I sit here and think about stories of people and how God's transformed them and, and God's used the gospel to break addictions and God's used the gospel to, to redeem marriages and to, to bring people into relationships that never, ever would have been in relationship together. And those relationships are life-giving, God-honoring friendships. And, and I, I think about the, the people we've gotten to equip and send out. Sometimes we intentionally sent them out. Sometimes we didn't intentionally send them out, but we still sent them out. And, and there are, I mean, in the double digits of people out there serving on leadership and staff at other churches right now that have come through here in just the last five years, that we have gotten to be a part of equipping and sending out. There are people in other countries right now that have come through here that we've gotten to be able to be a part of sending out. We've gotten to do some amazing things we we now get to be a part of when i got here there was no idea of a replant team the word replant was even kind of not really even decided yet by the north american mission board and what what the north american mission board realized around about six months to a year after i moved here 
uh, nothing to do with me, but they realized there was a movement. God was doing something and raising up people to go intentionally into struggling churches. Now, years ago, if you pastored a struggling church, it's because you couldn't get a job anywhere else, and so you just went where who would hire you. But there's been a movement of people intentionally choosing to go into these churches. And so now I get to talk to people all across the country, and I've gone to conferences, and I'm hearing great stories about how God is moving in this movement of replanting dying churches. And I think about the end of chapter 3, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And it's our heart that we could continue, like Donald Schott, like Chris Davis, to raise up replanters even and send them from here to go into other struggling churches so we can see God continue that story and that part of that verse in chapter 3 from generation to generation. The replanting movement facilitates a possibility for one generation to make sure that ministry continues there into the following generations. But one of the things we saw last week as we looked at the armor of God and spiritual warfare, as our theme this year has been, better together, we can't do this alone. You, you cannot win the spiritual battles on your own. We cannot see God do a movement of replanting dying churches on our own. We've got to learn how to partner and celebrate even more than we do now. As a matter of fact, I, 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 I'm so excited. I want to take a moment and celebrate one of our sister churches in the city right now, Normandy Park Baptist Church. Pastored by Troy Dixon, when we had a joint worship service together, they were a part of that joint worship service when we had five churches together on that Wednesday night. Uh, Normandy Park is today celebrating 100 years. Can, can, we, can we applaud that? Isn't that incredible? And can we get past the idea that we're in competition? Like, that's, that's our brothers and sisters in Christ, and praise God that for 100 years, Years the gospel has been proclaimed right there on Normandy Avenue. And may they have a hundred more years. Better together as we continue in chapter 4, we see this idea, the central passage of our theme for this year came out of chapter 4, talking about how God has given leaders to the church with the job description of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And then if you study that passage 11 through 16 in chapter 4, you'll see that what it's talking about is the saints come together, work together, each part doing their part properly, and then the body gets built up in love and comes into maturity. That that's the goal, maturity. Maturity is the goal. And it tells us even why maturity is the goal. One, so that we can be more and more like the image of Christ and honor God through that. And two, so that we won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and scheming in this world. But that we could stand firm like we talked about in spiritual warfare last Sunday and this Sunday in Bible study groups. That we could, we could stand there as the world throws things at us, as the enemy throws things at us, that we would not be tossed to and fro. But that we could stand firm on the truth of the gospel, not just for our salvation in eternity, but stand firm on the truth of the gospel for our empowerment today to live out what we just saw in Ephesians chapter 3. 
that that's how this works, is when we do it together. And so we get to the end, the conclusion. I love to study Paul's conclusions because I think it's so easy for us to read over it like it's nothing, but there's always these nuggets in there that are so beautiful. And so if you would stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. So that, there's that idea again, so that you also may know how I am doing, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this conclusion, I echo what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 17. Lord, that you would, sh- you would show us your steadfast love in wonderful ways. Lord, that we could be challenged by the vulnerability and transparency of Paul and the humility of Tychicus as we look at this passage this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, as we have talked about how to study the Bible, uh, or in another time we've done that, or you've learned that somewhere, then you know uh, that the basic kind of outline when we study a text is first we must observe the text itself and figure out what's going on there. We must interpret what the text means, and then from there we have to get to application. And, and, And understanding that all of those are important, right, that that the starting point has to be the Word of God. And and what the Word of God says means more than what I think or what you think or what our experiences or traditions tell us. Uh, Believe it or not, I've I've been thinking a lot about our Wednesday nights and just how great it's been. Uh, I leave Wednesday nights lately, every Wednesday night, truly feeling like I got to be a pastor. Uh, And I mean that. Like I I leave and I'm going, "This this is what I feel called to do is get deep in the Word of God with each other, discuss it together, and just how we're analyzing it and, and, and studying into it. And uh, I was in a coffee shop recently, and I was waiting for the bathroom. I was, uh, someone was in the men's bathroom, and somebody had just gone to the women's bathroom, and a lady came and tried to go in, and so we're both just awkwardly standing there waiting to use the bathroom. And, and this lady, I had an Engage Jacks JBA shirt on because there was a meeting I had to go to that day, and and, uh, and she goes, what's Engage Jacks? And I told her, it's our local association of Baptist churches that partner together to equip and go on mission together. And, and, um, and she goes, okay. And then randomly she goes, and she was kind of ha- had a nerdy voice. I'm not trying to profile, but like, you know, like you could tell by talking to her that she was a little bit nerdy. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm a lot nerdy. And, uh, and, she, and she goes, uh, I mean, you'll, you understand why I'll bring that up. Because the question she asked, only a nerd would ask. And she goes, you know what I really want? And I said, what's that? 
And she said, I really would like to do some literary analysis of the Bible. I said, literary analysis of the Bible? And she goes, is there a word for that? And I said, yeah, the word is hermeneutics, is the word for literary analysis of the Bible. And she goes, do you know anywhere that actually does literary analysis of the Bible? And I said, yes, the church that I pastor actually does literary analysis of the Bible on Wednesday nights. And she goes, but are you just going to tell me what I'm supposed to think? Are you going to let us really analyze the scripture as literature and see what it says? I said, no, actually, that's the rule. I don't tell you what I think until the end of the class, and I make everybody really work through analyzing the scriptures together. And she goes, well, that's fascinating. And then she got to go to the bathroom, and I gave her my card. So she might show up one day. I don't know. Uh, but but I, I've been thinking about that and, and, and how to study God's word and, and listen if, if I gave the rest of my life to what we're doing on Wednesday nights, it'd be a life fulfilled. It'd be a calling fulfilled, getting to do that. And, and the reason I'm bringing that up, when we, when, when we open God's word and we observe it, we interpret it, and we apply it, like that's, that's what we do, right? That's, that's, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to not deny self, take up my cross, follow Jesus. Well, how do I follow him if I don't know where he's going? I got to study here, and this will help me get there. Uh, and all that to say, today is going to feel a little more leaning towards application than observation and interpretation. And I want to tell you why. Uh, in this conclusion, I think there's some pretty incredible application questions for us to consider. Uh, and so, so rather than points today, I'm going to kind of walk through these verses, and then I'm just going to work us through some questions, uh, things that we need to consider. Uh, and and I, I, just in light of the whole book of Ephesians, things that we need to consider. And that's why I wanted to summarize it at the beginning. And so here, there in verse 21, it says, So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. So Paul's concluding his letter. He's sending it via Tychicus. I might not be saying that right, but we're just going to go with that. He's sending it via a guy named Tychicus, and he... Uh, is the guy bringing it, which means that he's the guy that's going to stand before the church and read this letter to the people. Now think about over the last 14, 15 weeks as we have really tried to dive through this and again, didn't dive as deep as we could, but, but imagine just standing and hearing it read. I don't know how long that means they discussed it and dove into it. I don't really know how that played out, but Tychicus is the guy that brings it and he reads the letter. Now, you'll get to, I would encourage you, go to, I'm not going to go deep into Tychicus' story, uh, although it's incredibly fascinating uh, who he is and, and how we can be encouraged by him. Just know that he's a, he actually comes up several times in Scripture. Um, and so it, when you go into Bible study group next Sunday, uh, that'll be the primary thing you're going to look at is the story of Tychicus. But Tychicus brings this letter and there's just some things the way that Paul words this that I want us to ask some questions. Who knows how you are doing? Not, not hey, how are you? I'm fine. Like, who actually, actually knows how you're doing? This is part of why discipleship matters. We live in a, a world that's fast-paced, and, and it wouldn't be socially appropriate or even effective when we walk through the hallway and hey how's your week been for you to go when actually it's been horrible can 
can we grab a seat and talk? And, you know, it would take everybody off guard. Now, sometimes that happens, and sometimes it needs to. And if you, but here's, here's the deal. This is why you need somebody in your life that regularly actually knows how you're doing. Like, actually, really knows how you're doing. As Paul says, I'm sending him, not just so that you can read the book of Ephesians, but you can know how I'm doing. That's part of why he sent Tychicus. He didn't just send a random letter carrier. He sent someone that knows how he's doing. And he wanted them to know how he's doing. Who knows what you are doing? Who know, I mean, who knows the things that you're actually doing in the week? Who's holding you accountable to making sure that you are suiting up in the armor of God on a daily basis? That you are standing and resisting the devil in regular temptation? Who knows that you're, or who knows that you're not? Who knows that you failed miserably every day this week and fallen into temptation and and you, do, and you feel lost and lonely and like you're drowning, but you don't know what to do because if you told somebody, they would judge you. I mean, I would encourage you to go back to when I preached through Galatians and Galatians chapter 6. This idea has been so beautiful to me, illustrated well by Paul, that he says when we come alongside one another and carry each other's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. This is uncomfortable. This is awkward. What I'm going to challenge you to do today, I will guarantee you, you will get burned by somebody. Somebody, at some point in your spiritual life, if you actually live this out on a regular basis, you're going to bear your soul to them, and they're not going to help you carry the burden. They're going to be used by the enemy to wound you. I don't want to pretend like that's not a reality. But also, I'm going to tell you that's not an excuse not to do it. It's not, listen, it's not an excuse not to live this way. So make sure you've got people that have permission to know really how you're doing and really what you're doing. Because the one thing we see consistent in Scripture is you cannot and we're not designed to do this alone at all. I mean, it doesn't work. It will not work. Do they know everything? Paul says, the Tychicus, your beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Um, there are ways to get to everything. It's usually not going to happen real quickly. Uh, in Neil Cole's book, Cultivating a Life for God, he lists 10 questions that people could ask each other on a regular basis. I just, I'm going to go quickly through them for you. And just think about, what if, what if you had to answer these questions on a regular basis to somebody? Have you been a testimony this week to the greatness of Jesus Christ with both your words and actions? How are you doing? What if you actually had to answer that with real integrity on a regular basis to somebody? Have you been exposed to sexually alluring material? Or allowed your mind to entertain inappropriate sexual thoughts about another person this week? So not only have you viewed, but have you let your mind go there? Like, what if, what if you had to answer that on a regular basis? Now, Pastor, why are you meddling in on weird stuff? As we talked about in our Bible study group this morning, 
in, in almost every temptation the devil gets us, the Bible's instructions to us are to stand firm. But you know where it doesn't say stand firm? On sexual sin. It says get out of there. Flee. Run. Don't stand. Turn the other direction and run. This is going to trip you up. If you just try to stand there, you will lose. If you try to fight this on your own, you will lose. You can't win this battle. So get out of there. Retreat. The Bible's instructions are to retreat. Not to act heroic, not to act bold, not to stand firm in the face of all that the devil has against you, but to run away. So how far is too far? Anything headed in that direction is too far. Turn around. Run the other direction. What about number three? Have you lacked integrity in your financial dealings this week? Or coveted something that does not belong to you? Starting to meddle. Four, have you been honoring, understanding, and generous in your important relationships this past week? Five, have you damaged another person by your words, either behind his or her back or face to face? Six, have you given in to addictive behavior of any kind this week? Please explain. Verse, uh, not verse, number seven, have you continued to remain angry toward another person? Number eight, have you secretly wished for another's misfortune so that you might excel? Number nine, do you finish, did you finish your reading? In other words, there was a signed reading before we got together that we agreed upon. We were going to read some scripture and talk about it. Did you finish the reading this week? And did you hear from the Lord? And then I love this, what are you going to do about it? Did you hear from the Lord? Oh, yeah, man, it was great. You know, Jesus loves us. And good, well, what are you going to do? What's going to happen? And then I love this last one. This is really, do they know everything? Have you been completely honest with me? Now imagine you had somebody you met with on a regular basis that was a safe person for you to meet with. You, you, you worked through it. They're not going to burn you. They love you. They care about you, but they love you enough to ask you hard questions like this. And so when you meet, you, you, you have to take time. Listen, this isn't convenient. Depending on how your week's been, you may not want to do this in a public place. This is going to get real awkward and real uncomfortable. But isn't that kind of what iron sharpening iron is supposed to be like? Like the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or one person is to another. Like you realize that idea is an abrasive, violent process of iron sharpening iron. It's, it's, it's rubbing things off that aren't right. But we have to expose those things to the light. Who knows you? Who knows how you're really doing? Who knows what you're really doing? And do they know everything? Paul demonstrates great vulnerability. But you need to get that no one's above that need for vulnerability. No one. You are, listen to me. You are not spiritually mature enough to not need that vulnerability. You haven't been doing this long enough. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how many times you've read your Bible. You've not been doing this 
long enough that you get to walk on your own. I don't get to walk without this kind of vulnerability. I have people in my life that ask me these questions on a regular basis, and I have to answer them out loud. And sometimes it's awkward and uncomfortable, and I get scared that I'm going to be judged. But if I don't have somewhere to be honest like that, then I will start to operate in my own strength. And I'll quit putting on the armor of God, and I'll just put on a facade. And listen to me. The worst thing you could do for your spiritual growth is live with a mask on. That's it. The worst thing you could do is one of the enemy's greatest tactics. Verse 22. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are communally and that he may encourage your hearts I have sent him to you for this very purpose that he may encourage your hearts who is encouraging you maybe that's not the same person maybe you need somebody that's not going to be as encouraging as you want, that you've got to be really, really vulnerable with because they're going to call you on it. And they're going to say things like, that's cool that you heard something out of the Word of God about the Lord, but what are you going to do about it? But you also, listen, everybody needs a Barnabas. Everybody needs somebody that's just going to encourage you. The Bible talks a lot about encouragement. But don't don't get these confused and encouragement and accountability aren't the same thing now the idea of somebody weekly encouraging me sounds great let's grab coffee every week and you'll just encourage me and tell me great things and 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 get me lifted up man that's really good that maybe is easier to find obedience to right because i would love for somebody to encourage me on a regular basis sometimes we're we're starving for encouragement But you can't divorce it. You have to have accountability too. And encouragement. What is your purpose? I sent him to you for this very purpose. I I don't want to go into it because again you'll go into it Sunday morning. The purpose of Tychicus is pretty fascinating. We really only get his name for the most part at the conclusion of some letters. He's a guy who delivers letters. That's his job. It's a mail carrier. But he doesn't just deliver it. He stands and he reads it. But he doesn't just carry the letter. He risks his own life carrying that letter. He's hanging out with Paul when everybody says, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And some of them go, hey, if Paul's going, let's go with him. You know who one of those guys was? Tychicus. Now, there's not a first letter to Tychicus. There is to Timothy and a second to Timothy. There's not a a gospel of Tychicus. There's really not even a whole lot of other details about him other than he hung out with Paul. He was willing to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew that might mean his death. And then he risked his life on a regular basis, carrying letters to people and read them and to encourage them. He wasn't the lead pastor. He wasn't on the speaking circuit. But his purpose was pretty phenomenal. You know why? We wouldn't have the letter of Ephesians if Tychicus didn't deliver it. What is your purpose? 
part of Ephesians 4, Better Together, is knowing your role and playing it. I don't really have much to offer, though, Pastor. I heard recently, I was reminded of this truth. John the Baptist was called by Jesus, the, the greatest man born of woman, right? Jesus called John the Baptist, the greatest man. There's really no better praise than that, right? But then Jesus said something else. He said, but even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Somebody in here is the least in the kingdom of God in this room. I don't know who you are. Maybe it's me. I don't know. But even you have more potential than John the Baptist if you're a child of God because the Holy Spirit sits in you. So here's the deal, child of God. Here's the deal, loved one, called one. And you were, but God, so that. We, as a church, need you to figure out your so that. Your so that may not be knocking on doors and sharing the gospel. Your so that may not be standing up here and preaching. Your so that may not be being in the band and singing. Your so that may not be leading a Bible study group. And so because those things are the things that get praised or, or looked at, you may think, my so that doesn't matter. But listen to me, your so that matters. Because Ephesians 4 says, when each part is working properly, the church is built up in love. So listen to me, child of God. We need you. We need you to figure out your so that. And we need you to live it out. I'll tell you this, there's not a so that you can sit in the pew. That one's not in there. There's not a so that you could just listen. There's not a so that so you could just consume. A so that is towards each other. Last two verses. Verses 23 and 24. Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Your, your translation may have a different word than incorruptible, but the idea there is it's a, a love and a faith from us towards Jesus that can't be taken, can't be shaken, and can't be met, messed up. Now, that's not in your own strength. That's when we, when we are brought into the family of God, we're there. So, as we look at this one, some questions I have. Peace, love, faith, grace. Do these describe your relationships? Do you have the kind of relationships where people really know you? When do people really know you? They really know how you're doing, what you're doing. Do they know everything? Do you have people that are encouraging you? Do you have relationships that, that are edifying, life-giving? They build you up. They bring you closer to Jesus because you're in that relationship. And then, if you have those, do you have relationships where you bring life to 
other people and encouragement and accountability. Are there people that you're regularly encouraging? Are there people that you're regularly holding accountable that have asked you to? Don't hold people accountable they didn't ask you to. Don't start bringing in unsolicited accountability. Peace, love, grace. Jesus actually told us that the way people would know that we are his followers is by the way that we love each other. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you and answer the question, church. That's not the way the world sees the church. They don't see us and think, man, what a unified, loving, peaceful, gracious people. They may be crazy and believe in some fairy tales about some virgin-born Messiah and, and all these things and some God in the sky and he died and rose from the dead. And I don't believe all that stuff. But man, they love each other. The first century church could be described that way. Like when it first started out, now it didn't take long for things to start derailing and getting off track. But when the first started and people were getting saved like crazy by the thousands every day, you know what one of the main reasons was? Is people watched and thought, man, look at the way these people live and they love each other. And it just blew them away that people could love so sacrificially these people that they didn't have as much in common with. Church, what if we could live that out? Listen, I'm not talking kumbaya. I'm not talking being better together so we can hold hands and sing we are the world. I'm talking better together because we are in mighty army to push back the darkness in this world. And there's a lot of darkness, people. There's a lot of darkness. The state of Florida is number three in the country for human trafficking, and Jacksonville is one of the hottest spots that that happens. Within a two-mile radius of here, there's a regular activity of human trafficking. There are children that go to this elementary school that the only meals they get are when they go to school. There are children who are being unsupervised throughout the week because their one parent they live with has to work three jobs in order to try to pay the bills. And sometimes we want to bicker about politics. Somebody asked me, Pastor, how come I never hear you talk about politics? I'll give you a very straight answer because I don't care. You can disagree with me, and that's fine. I got no hope in any politician. None. No hope. The only thing that will push back the darkness is the body of Christ being the body of Christ. That's when it happens. And listen to me. It could happen right here. We have everything we need in this room to turn this world upside down like we see in the book of Acts. Listen to me. We're literally lacking nothing to turn this world upside down other than initiative and obedience. It's the only thing we lack. It's in our apathy and our laziness that the world burns around us. We have the resurrected Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, and our marching orders. Our marching orders are to love one another in such a way that the world sees it and doesn't know what to do with it. 
our marching orders are to go out and make disciples that make disciples that make this community a, a noticeably better place. Our, our, our marching orders are to live life in such a way, in such vulnerability that people really know how you're doing, what you're doing, that we have encouragers, that we're being encouraging, that we lift up each other, not so that we can fill more seats in here, but so that we can push back the darkness out there. And in our own lives, there are people here right now that have darkness that needs to be pushed back. So my encouragement to you would be to shed some light on it. Shed some light on the darkness. It's going to be scary. It's going to feel really weird. Everything in your flesh is going to tell you not to do it. I don't say it out loud. Or water it down. Just don't tell the whole truth. Don't tell me everything's really going on. Just kind of hint that there's some things that are not right in my life, but, but don't actually be truly vulnerable with anybody. You won't find freedom that way. And if we could find freedom together, then we could take it to others. And, give, and just give the rest of our lives to that. And see what God does. For our response... We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. But here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray, and then when I pray, uh, after I pray, the band will, will come up. And, uh, band, I'm going to be asked, like, just as I'm praying, don't, don't come up. Just sit there. When I say amen, then you can come up. Um, this is not going to, I don't want this to be a routine Lord's Supper. So you're going to come down. You're going to get the elements yourself. You're going to take a little initiative, a step of obedience. We're going to practice it a little bit this morning. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Wesley and the band will be all right with it if you're talking while they're singing. Find somebody, maybe, and say something encouraging to them. Be an encourager. Or maybe, that's an easy one, maybe be so bold as to confess some sin out loud. Or just confess that you have a need. Like maybe, maybe you're not ready to say out loud what, this, what, what your burden is, but you just think, I feel alone. And, and, and when I'm ready, I, I need to tell somebody something, and, and maybe that's all you can get out today. And listen to me, that's a step in the right direction. Maybe you come and you kneel and you pray together at the stairs. I'll be here and I can talk to you. My prayers aren't any more righteous than anybody else's out there. But I'll be here. And so when you're ready, come grab. I'll be sit, standing at the front pew. When you're ready, come grab the elements. And go sit back down, sing, encourage somebody, pray with somebody. And then once everybody's had a chance, to come get the elements, I'll come up here and together we will proclaim the victory of Jesus Christ over the darkness in our own lives. Together we will declare his death until he returns. We will declare that he wins even when we fail. Right? And that there is so much power in that victory redeemed by his blood. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I, I can't.
can't think of anything I would rather talk to you about than for you to come talk to me about that. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would show us your steadfast love through wonderful works this morning. Or that we could see some walls break down. That somebody would be open about their brokenness for the very first time and it would be the beginning of healing for them as someone prays over them. Lord, as we proclaim your death until you return by taking the Lord's Supper together, that your name would be honored and we would push back the darkness in our own lives so that we could continue to do the same thing out there. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. As the band comes up, go ahead and stand. You can sing with them. You can go ahead and come down and take elements together. We're not going to pass them out. You just come grab them. And then once everybody's had a chance, I'll come up and lead us to take it together.